You are listening to the Grow Law Firm Podcast, where each guest shares actionable, practical ideas with you on how to get more clients, expand your reach, and grow your law firm's revenue and profit. Here's your host, Sasha Burson. Welcome to Grow Law Firm Podcast. I have a very unusual guest here with me. Lori Gilbertson is a former prosecutor in sex crimes, violent crimes, organized crime. When I say this out loud, and you were a TV legal expert, I am getting the jingle from Law and Order, Law and Order. Special Victims yes. Unit. Ta-da! <laughs> totally. You got it, Sasha. That, that was it in a lot of ways and not it in a lot of ways. I, I, I bet. By the way, I do not know where you practiced law as a prosecutor. Was it in New York City by any chance? It was in New York City. I was in... Totally. Uh, Special Victims Unit. Totally. 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 So, so they made show off of you. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was. it's interesting because if you've ever heard of the show NYPD Blue, sure. which is yeah. a super old show... Um, that was started by some detectives from Queens County, which is where I practiced for some time. And they used to come out and just talk to all the line prosecutors and get ideas for their show. So every now and then you'd be watching and you'd see something and I'd be like, oh, that's my case. That's my case. So it does come from real life. Fascinating. What got you into that line of work other than law school, obviously? Yeah, well, you know, I always wanted to be a trial lawyer. My father is a trial lawyer. I grew up kind of sitting at the kitchen table and learning to advocate for myself, learning to make arguments, because if I wanted to have a discussion with him, I had to kind of really be on it because he's he's so clear thinking and such an amazing advocate. So that was a bit, you know, in my DNA. But my very first day in law school, uh, my very first day in my criminal law class, the professor was talking about cases and something in me just clicked. And I just thought, these are stories. These are real people. Um, this is really where you can see justice uh, be served. And this is what I want to do. And that was it. Amazing. So since then, you moved on yeah. and you became the CEO of Tribeca Blue Consulting, which yes. is a, obviously as a consulting firm, as the name suggests. And you help executives and lawyers improve their communication mm -hmm. skills so that they can deliver powerful stories and advance mm -hmm. their careers or grow their businesses. Yes. And I, it's, yeah, go on. No, no. I was going to say, it's funny to hear CEO because mm -hmm. that sounds like such a big, you know, big, big title. Um, and I feel like, well, it's me, you know, I'm the one who's out there doing it. So um, yes, uh, executives, entrepreneurs, and trial lawyers um, is something that I've really delved into lately. Um, when I was starting my company, I was kind of thinking, you know, what, what are the skills that I have? What can I share with people? What is it that I want to do? And that came from, you know, leaving the practice of law and really, you know, as many lawyers, you know, in transition from leaving law have to figure out, you know, what do they want to do next? And I really thought, you know, this trial work, this is what I know. I know how to communicate. I know how to be persuasive. I know how to advocate. How can I teach other people to do that? Because if you can communicate well, put your ideas out there well, connect with people well, you can conquer the world. You can do anything. Makes perfect sense. And we find that sometimes excellent communicators can really change the world. Mm -hmm. Sometimes for better. Some of them use those communication <laughs> skills for good and sometimes for worse. Like we know Adolf Hitler 
was an amazing communicator through training, was not naturally an amazing speaker, but through training, he became an amazing speaker and he used it for evil. But I find it interesting. We communicate all throughout our lives before we actually have verbal skills while we're little babies and all throughout our lives, we communicate. We communicate at home with our loved ones. We communicate with our friends. We communicate with our colleagues. If we're employers, we communicate with our employees. If we're managers, we're communicating with people who work for us. We communicate with judges. We communicate with opposing counsels. When I think about law firm owners, and that is the majority of people who listen to this podcast or watch these recordings, I think the toughest communications that they have, and this is based on numerous communications, not with them directly, but with their employees, the toughest communications that they have are not with opposing counsels, are not with judges, it's with their employees. Interesting. And what, that, what is so challenging for them with employees? So most lawyers, I assume, are somewhat hard asses. <laughs> tough. Tough. Like yeah, you have tough. to be tough to Rigid. choose this profession. You have to be tough to get through law school. You have to be tough to become an employer lawyer. You just have to be tough. Most of these people are tough, no nonsense, get shit done kind of approach people. Yeah. And when it comes to working with employees today, and we're recording this early 2024, the expectations are completely different than what they were even just a decade, decade and a half ago. Today, people are expecting softer communications, more understanding, more respect, less mm -hmm. I told you so, more we're working together. So when you think about working with attorneys, and I know that you focus more on trial lawyers, but because you're a communications mm -hmm. expert, I want to talk about really this, right? When you, talk, when you work with attorneys, how do you start? Like, where do you, how do you assess their communication skills how do you set tangible goals for improving those communication skills? And what are the typical expected outcomes? Okay. Wow. Um, you know, one, one thing that really comes to mind as you're saying all that is, is something I see typically with attorneys in terms of communication, in terms of marketing, in terms of even learning how to run a business like a law firm, is that the legal field and the business field are so separate. And so many lawyers go through law school and they learn to think a certain way and they get into a law firm and all of a sudden here, they need to call on some business skills. They need yeah. to call on some leadership skills. They need to call on communication skills. And those aren't things that are taught in law school. In fact, I think those are, are kind of things that, you know, are, are just completely ignored and almost pounded out of us in law school because mm -hmm. we're so focused on a very, very specific linear way of thinking. So, the first thing um, in kind of assessing communication, I really like to take a tool from the business field. And I like to do this kind of um, 360, almost like an audit, like a business audit that sometimes leaders go through and executives go through, but I do it for communication. Because a lot of times, you know, you hear your voice on something and maybe you hear your voice on the podcast, Sasha, and you go, oh my gosh, is that what I sound like, right? I know I do and never like it. And so people don't necessarily know how they're coming across. Mm -hmm. You know, someone might be communicating and thinking that they're being very, as you said, softer, um, more collaborative, more conversational, but in actuality, they may sound like a hard ass. You just don't know. So the first step is for people to really learn how are they being perceived? 
what really is their communication? How, what is that kind of style? Once they kind of see how other people may be seeing it and then kind of do an audit of themselves of what they feel comfortable with, um, the kinds of arenas they feel comfortable talking in, smaller groups, larger groups, one-on-one, then we can really start working on the actual skills. How and does so one, you have to start so there. Apologies for the interruption, but this is really yeah. important. We do not really see ourselves from a side. Mm-hmm. How does one go about actually learning how other people perceive us? Because mm-hmm. this is this might be a very hard communi- conversation to have with somebody who mm-hmm. may have been working for you for years. Mm-hmm. Now you have to go to them and be like, Jenny, I want to have this frank conversation. <laughs> what questions well, would you ask that employee? <laughs> well, well, you get a you can get a middle person like me, mm-hmm. you know, who is the person who asked those questions. Um, you know, for some people, it doesn't necessarily even have to be in the work field. What I like to do, even with law students starting out, is ask people, ask people who are close to you, who you communicate with regularly, who you have relationships with, these questions. You know, ask them, how, what it, what does my communication style seem like to you? What do you think of when I, when you and I maybe um, get in an, uh, a discussion about something? Um, could you use three words to describe how you see me? That kind of thing. And you start, you know, you ask people to be really honest um, and kind of do this assessment and you start to really see some themes come through. Um, you know, for example, I, I went through a lot of that when I was transitioning from working um, in legal education to starting my own uh, company. And I had a certain idea of how I came across and it was not at all what people were telling me. And that helped me to really change my communication. You have to be willing to take the input and you have to be willing to just ask. And when I have taught um, in various law schools and I ask law students to do this and they get very, very nervous about it, but they always um, come back and say, wow, that was amazing. You know, I asked five people how they saw me. I asked them how they think I communicate and I've learned so much about myself. Mm. So that's where you start. That's fascinating. So I think that if you can afford, if you're a law firm owner, then you cannot afford Mm -hmm. not to. You should probably hire a third party Mm -hmm. to do the asking. Because when it comes to hiring third parties, people tend to open up more to somebody who is impartial, that third party, then they would open up to you. I used to run a consulting Mm -hmm. company. And what we did, we did client interviews and we did lost client interviews. And the Mm -hmm. things that we learn, it would open eyes this wide. (laughs) Like like those companies who we serve, they like, we never thought about that. We never looked at things that way. Mm -hmm. We didn't know our clients saw this that way. We didn't know clients leave us because of this. Right. And if you don't ask, you will never know because they're not going to tell you, you know, they're not going to necessarily reach out and tell you. I think that there are, there are certainly some law firms that I've worked with who are very attuned to this, um, who will look at upcoming associates and see what their skills are like and really be able to recognize whether maybe a lack of good communication skills could be holding them back. And Mm. I, you know, when a firm like that contacts me and lets me know this and says, you know, we want you to meet with them and see what you can do. You know, nobody wants to be told you're not a good communicator. You have to get better. No Mm. one wants to be told that. You you kind of just want to know, look, this is something that just like, you know, if you were going to the gym and you had a personal trainer, this is something that's going to help you use those muscles, know what to do, give you the exercises so you can do the work 
and you can get stronger and you can get better just like in the gym. And and that's what it comes down to. So I think those kinds of firms um, I love working with because I I find they really recognize that communication is such an important skill for advancement in the firm. And that kind of goes to what you were saying about law firm owners. Um, You know, you don't just need that among owners and their employees. If you want to have this kind of great company culture and you want to be really, um, really doing good business and have great client services, everyone needs to have that. Everyone mm-hmm. needs to follow that. Everyone needs to start kind of learning some of those business and leadership techniques. And that is honestly sorely lacking, I think, in a lot of law firms. You know, this just made me think of a very personal example for me. In September, my partner and I were in off-site training for a number of days. We were mm-hmm. far away from the office. And he and I, before the next session, were sitting in the small cafe, having a cup of coffee. We're talking about something. And when he responded to something that I said, I instantly like kind of jerked away because he did this and was like dismissive and he waved his hand like, like he was brushing me off. And, and, and my partner and I, we have a really great connection. We've been working together now for more than six years. We're aligned 99% of the time. We both really yeah. appreciate this work relationship. Great guy. We have really nice culture at work. Our employees rarely leave and everybody like, like brings their friends here. So like when I saw that, I was like, wait, I see this happen. I see him do this from time to time. And I'm like, listen, bud, like, don't brush me off. Don't do this. <laughs> and he looks at me and he's like, oh, but do you know why I do this? And I'm like, you don't care? Like, what is it? Yeah. And he was like, I do this. When you tell me forcefully what I am to do, and I don't appreciate that. Never have I ever thought that I tell him forcefully what he should do. But apparently for five and a half years, because by then we've been working for five and a half years, I've been doing that and he's been doing this. And and I haven't been noticing what I've been doing and he hasn't been noticing what he's been doing. And up, we could have had a better relationship and we both mm-hmm. realized through that very frank communication, but we could have learned this five years earlier and it probably would yeah. have made our work relationship even better. We just yeah. didn't know. And now you do, now we do. which is amazing. We that you were even, yeah, oh, I bet. Which you were able to even have that conversation and be honest and open and transparent with each other. And you know, every, you said at the beginning uh, of our conversation that we communicate all the time, right? Mm-hmm. That every, everything in our life is a communication and, and that is true. You know, all of these kind of micro communications like that conversation are just such great practice for everything, right? You don't need, you know, the way that you all were, were open and transparent with each other led to a breakthrough that's going to benefit your business. And I would imagine personally as well, because you don't have to deal with this anymore. And he doesn't have to deal with what he saw with as my BS, telling him what to do. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. It changes relationships. And that changed your relationship. Perfect example. So I, I always encourage people, you know, you don't need to be in a client meeting, in a big meeting, um, at a presentation in front of a hundred or a thousand people to be learning and practicing your communication. Every opportunity you have, such as the one you just talked about, are little micro communications. 
that can be practiced for you. And the more you practice, the better you get. Yeah. But I think those micro communications are leading to major impacts on organizations. Mm -hmm. So when I think about improving communications within a business, between employer and employees or managers and employees that work within those employers groups or departments. I always think about employee retention. The better your communications are with your employees, the better you understand them and the better they understand you, the lower your turnover, the higher your employee engagement, and more importantly, their happiness. And when employees are happy, Mm -hmm. they tend to perform much better. Replacing in lost seasoned employee costs you anywhere between 100 and 300% of their annual salary. Mm-hmm. That is a very serious financial impact on your bottom line if you lose employee because you do what I used to do with my partner, which is forcefully tell them what they must do. <laughs> right. right? It's 2024. Right. And you might know, yeah. I didn't know I was doing that. For five and a half years, I've been doing it with this guy and I didn't know. I was not aware. So and he yeah. probably wasn't the only one that you were doing it with. Oh, I bet, because I'm a bit of yeah. a hard ass. Yeah. I which isn't that. bad. Which isn't bad. Nor good. You know, you know, it just, it is, because that's that's who you are. That's your personality. That's obviously helped you become, or maybe it's not your personality, but maybe it's just part of how you've learned to communicate that has helped in business. If it serves you, you can harness it in a way. Mm. And if it doesn't, you change it. I'm, I'm an adult. I'm flexible. If mm. I recognize that something must be changed, to improve the outcomes, and even if it didn't have any financial outcome, but it would just improve our relationship, it's already worth it, and I would make adjustments. The issue here is that it took us years to recognize the issue. It was just that spark of the moment. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't even caught on to it for another five and a half years. Uh, But it took us five and a half years to realize that. So what it cost us internally, we do not know. How many decisions we made that were erroneous? Because I know that over now over six years, we have made some big decisions that were incorrect. And I wonder whether if our communications were better, would we have made different decisions? Because some of those decisions were made like, oh, fine, let's do it your way. Mm-hmm. And then a year later, you're like, oh, shit. What did we do? Bad decision. Right. Yeah, you know, a, a business relationship like that is almost like a marriage. And it I, is. I, it... yeah, with all the good and all the bad. And I've heard of business partners, co founders, you know, co CEOs, um, whatever, going to therapy, you know, almost like uh-huh. marriage, you know, almost like you go to a marriage counselor to yeah. work out exactly those things in the relationship. Yeah. You know, when I try to think, you know, I'm just trying to think as, as you're kind of letting me know about all this, which is absolutely fascinating, um, of ways to kind of keep that communication going. You know, when you have your business partner, you know, I don't know if you all had weekly meetings or times that you set up, you did, to Mm -hmm. go through things. And, you know, there are some questions um, that I used to ask witnesses um, at the end of prepping them to go to trial. And so we'd prepare, I'd prepare them, I'd go through everything. And at the end of everything, I'd say, is there anything I've asked you about? I haven't asked you about that I need to know before I put you on the stand. Is there anything I haven't asked that you want me to know? And I always found that was the most valuable question because these Mm -hmm. things would come out and otherwise I would have been totally surprised. Mm -hmm. 
And so I think applying that to, to your, you and your business partner, you know, sometimes in those meetings, when you're making decisions, do this, do that, you need to set aside a little time, maybe aside from that meeting, or maybe just having coffee or something just to focus on how is our relationship going? How are we communicating with each other? Is there anything that, you know, just open, honest, it stays between the two of you. Is there anything you want me to let, you know, want to let me know about what's been going on with us? Super interesting. This this reminded me of one of my early mentors who taught me that he and his wife now of probably 20, oh yeah, almost 25 years, they have this weekly practice where Sunday night they sit down and they ask each other, how would you rate our relationship this week on a scale of one to 10? And if it's wow. eight or lower, they ask, what could I have done differently in order to mm-hmm. make it closer to a 10? And they do it 52 times a year without a fail. <laughs> And wow. that keeps their relationship of now over a quarter of a century mm-hmm. going really strong because they never let like a month or a quarter right. or a year go by. And I think most of us, like, I never thought about like doing that with my business partner. Mm-hmm. But now that we're talking, now that we're communicating about <laughs> communication, <That's right. laughs> I'm like, huh, why don't our managers do that with mm-hmm. all of their team members? Yeah, because we have a little bit of turnover. It's a little bit what we have a little bit of turnover. Are we losing some people? Are we losing some engagement? Are we diminishing Mm -hmm. some of our employee happiness as far as we can impact their Mm -hmm. happiness? Because we're not communicating really well, communicating very well. Should we add that into the weekly or at least Mm -hmm. monthly practice? Because that could potentially lead to way better outcomes in terms of improving retention, improving performance, and them advocating even harder for our firm so that they continue to bring high quality people here. We we, we barely do any recruitment. Like most of our people come here through referral through our team members, but I wonder if they would be advocating even harder if we improve on our communications. People ultimately it's just, it's human nature. They want to be seen. They want to be heard. They want to know that they matter. And they want to know in, in a company such as yours that, you know, the management is listening to them, whether it's something big or something small, that they're going to be heard and that their concerns are important. And that is how you turn people into even bigger advocates for your company, mm-hmm. because they know that they're valued. Because when people are seen and they're heard and their concerns are taken seriously, they feel valued and they feel happier and they work harder, right? And mm-hmm. then they go out and tell everyone, come work at Grow Law Firm. It's really great because you get treated really well because they really care about us and our value. Yeah. Yeah. So that's super interesting. So I think that it impacts your bottom line in the short term, middle term, long term, especially the long term, because the stronger mm-hmm. your team the more valuable your business becomes because should you need to retire or sell the business either by default because you're getting old mm-hmm. or by design because you choose to and you prepare for that sale, have a highly, having a highly engaged, engaged team yeah. will be a huge add-on, value add-on to the buyer because buyers actually go and communicate with your various mm-hmm. managers and some of your employees to understand oh, yeah. what is that they're buying. Oh, yeah, they're going to do their due diligence. They're mm-hmm. going to find out. They need to know that. And you have to be transparent about it. You know, I was thinking, even in, in talking about the relationship with you and your business partner, 
the fact that you had that conversation that you all now are communicating even better is modeling that for your employees, showing them that you are open to having that kind of conversation, that there's no ego necessarily involved mm -hmm. just because the two of you are, you know, at the top of, of this whole um, organization that you all value communication. That's why you value it with them. Also, when you model it and they see it, um, I think that that also adds to this great company culture. And should it come time to be sold, you know, you can't create that company culture in the, you know, two weeks before people are doing their due diligence on your company, right? It's got to be built up over years. And it's, you know, it's the communication part of it is just one of those things that can feel so intangible. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people don't think about improving communication because it feels so intangible. You know, it sounds like, well, making yourself have charisma or something like that, you know, that just sounds like you're, you either have it or you don't. And, and that's simply not true. So, you know, with your company and kind of modeling this and doing this, you, you would be giving people kind of a tangible example of how this works and hopefully giving them the, um, I think, courage to speak up to management and speak up maybe to their team leaders about things mm -hmm. that are important to them because they will have seen from the top that that matters and that it's important. Yeah, I think it's super interesting. And on the matter of improving company culture, I firmly believe that it takes three to four years to transform company culture. Not two weeks, not a year, three to four years. And the reason for that is, and this may sound super controversial, but if you have a poor company culture, first of all, your business is way less valuable to a buyer. Mm -hmm. Because as they do their due diligence, they will see that your employees are not loving working there. So once there's change in management, probability that they stay gets even lower because you need to prove out to them that you're somehow better than the previous management, which is hard. When there's that transition, it's really hard. So three to four years is because a lot of people will cycle out within three to four years. And it's the new people who will see you in a new way with your better communications. But on the subject of better communications, I think I understand now how to assess someone's communication strength and weaknesses. It's kind of like a SWOT analysis on your communication style. For those who don't know, SWOT means strength, weakness, opportunity, and threats. Right? So you're strong because you do this. You're weak because you do this. Your opportunities for improvement are that. And your threats are half your team is ready to walk away if they get the same offer is yeah. what you're paying them now. And by the way, today, delivering good results to your employees at work and being a good employer is the bare minimum. Like oh, competitive yeah. pay and being okay employer, good employer is the bare minimum. Like people expect a lot more today from you as an employer. Um, a couple of days ago, I had side story, Joey Coleman on this podcast. Mm -hmm. And the guy is... He teaches people like what his most recent book is titled, Never Lose an Employee Again. Mm. And I told him, here's what my partner and I do for our employees. Other than paying them competitively and giving them the flexibility of working from home or remotely and having some of the standard benefits and trying to have some additional benefits. We're still a small business under 60 employees, but we have good, good benefits. We also take them on an annual retreat somewhere cold this time most of us are based in chicago so we're traveling yeah. to puerto rico in about six weeks so Very that, nice. that's cool 
We also send them gifts on their annual anniversaries and we send them gifts around holidays and we do treat them with respect. And Joey was like, man, you're so far ahead of mm-hmm. most. But when you compare that to Google's of this world, and Google has a humongous office here in Chicago. Yeah. How do you stack up? Yeah. How do you? <laughs> Probably not so well, but we're not a nearly trillion dollar corporation, right? So we cannot right. stack up financially, but we can stack up with better communication, treating mm-hmm. our employees even nicer. But we actually, I think that we're really good communicators with our employees, but yeah. are we? I don't know. We never assess that. You got to ask them. I mean, part of it is I think you see it through employee retention, mm-hmm. right? If people are staying, but you, I, I just always help people. You've got to ask. So maybe you, maybe you need an anonymous survey to your employees mm-hmm. about some of this. Um, give them some ideas about, um, you know, so you get some feedback. You know, people. I think a lot of law firms will, you know, do that often in terms mm-hmm. of kind of what are you know associates or partners looking for in terms of training. I see a lot of that. What are they looking for in terms of leadership development? What kinds of things would interest them or be helpful to them as they maybe step into new roles or not? And so maybe that kind of feedback is something you need from your employees. And, and, you know, you're not, you're not competing. You know, I would think you're not necessarily competing with a Google because how do you, how do you compete with kind of that kind of money, all of those things. And it's, it's a way of, you know, when we, when I was trying cases, we were always told, you know, you can't pick your facts, your case is what it is, and your case will have weaknesses, and you can't avoid those weaknesses. You, it was all about turning those weaknesses into strengths. And so, you know, when I look at a company like yours, as opposed to a company like a Google, what you might look at and say, oh, we're small, we don't have the kind of money Google does to do all this, that's that's not a weakness, that's a strength, right? Mm-hmm. Look at Look at the fact that the size gets your employees more attention. It allows you to be more agile and flexible in what you want to do. You don't have to go through, you know, 10 different channels to figure out where you want to take your retreat. You get to pick, you get to do it, you get to go. If you need to shut down your office, you shut down your office for that time. So all of these things that um, may even feel compared to like a Google that could be a weakness, I, they can be incredible strengths and, and things that make you really unique that are going to make a lot of people want to come to you as opposed to going to a Google. And that's going to be a, a personality and a company culture kind of thing too, where it's just going to be the right fit with you. Mm-hmm. So super interesting. So I understand now how to perform assessment. So for example, we perform mm-hmm. an assessment and we realize that we're way, way weaker communicators than we thought we were. On a scale of one to mm-hmm. 10, we get rated a seven on average. And that to me would be like a really low score. But I would accept it because I don't see myself from a side. None of us do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Once we learn that, what is the practical way to go about improving our communication style so that we do get a bump in the score? We do so improve we- that, that employee retention. We do get better outcomes. We do improve employee happiness. We do improve employee mm-hmm. performance. We do improve valuation of our businesses. Okay. So are we talking about kind of management communication with employees? Is that where we're kind of focusing or, or all over? Like with, all, with all, clients, all, all. with customers? So I just want to focus like inter-organization, managers okay. and employees, mm-hmm. employees and employees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, you've got to, it, it, it can't be intangible. It's got to start being something super tangible. So you have to have opportunities to improve. 
And some of that is really putting um, your managers and your employees together. And there are all kinds of, um, you know, team workshops and team exercises that can really start helping managers and employees understand each other better and understand their communication styles better. And you can do it, you know, and I do it in, in a kind of fun way. And, and I go back to your conversation with your, your business partner, you know, he was flicking you, you were saying something to him, the two of you were not connecting, but then you got there. And so in these kinds of workshops, it's the same kind of idea. We're taking it out of necessarily the work sphere and maybe putting it into an exercise involving something, you know, um, some things I've done as silly as, you know, building something with Legos, okay? Like I did an exercise at a, at a big group I was facilitating where we wanted to show employees that, who thought that they could only communicate on Slack, the difference between communicating on a Slack channel, just online and doing it in person. And, and these employees were all remote. They never picked up the phone. They never really talked to each other. This conference was the first time they were actually meeting each other. And so this exercise involved basically one group had directions on how to build this Lego, um, kind of just car, something like that. And one group also had the directions and then one group used Slack and one group used in person. And the results, Guess, Sasha, guess which worked better. Obviously in person. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so everybody was able to see it. It was fun. It was funny. It didn't require a whole lot of work except for kind of putting their brains to it. And then everything clicked. And, and in this company, people were then able to say like, I can use Slack for a few things, but now I really see, I got to pick up the phone. I got to talk to this person. You know, or I got to go to their office if I'm in their office. And that changed communication. There are 120 people in this, in this company, and that changed their communication, we heard, right after that. The phone calls increased. The in-person communication mm. increased. Ultimately, their bottom line increased. So mm. things like that. You know, we take it out of the business sphere. We kind of make it fun, but we get to those insights that people can really take back right back into the company. So that, that's one way of starting to do it. Is there another way? <laughs> There's lots of different ways. Um, I love that you're doing a retreat. Um, I think that, that that is something that also really helps with company communication. I think getting people out of what they really consider these kind of, you know, roles that can feel somewhat rigid, no matter how collaborative the company is and being in a different environment um, just allows people to have much more authentic communication, much mm -hmm. more open um, you know, sitting down, having a cup of coffee with someone or a glass of wine at night, or you're all sharing a meal, it just opens up that communication to a different realm so that also people take back to the office. Yeah. So I think even doing that where people are really mixing like that yeah. is, is, a, is another really great way. You know, we actually and, intentionally yeah. decided that during those retreats, we're not going to have work-related exercises. We're not going right. to talk about work. It's all about mm -hmm. hanging out and having fun. Yeah. That's it. If, if work conversations come up, fine. We're not going to facilitate them. We're not going to force them. There are no objectives for these retreats. Get the plane, mm -hmm. fly somewhere, hang together <laughs> for four days. This is Thursday through Sunday. Yeah. Enjoy your life. Are you hiring, Sasha? Because this sounds really nice. Do you have any openings for, say, a communication specialist? <laughs> so, so it's I awesome. It 
really but is. That potentially. Yeah. So here's what, based on this conversation, what we're going to do is we're going to implement this practice. What I mentioned, so Darren Hardy was one of my first real mentors, and he taught me about this Sunday evening access with his wife. And I, had, I got okay. remarried last year. Congratulations. And, and thank you. And I have a little posted on my table that this Sunday, my wife and I are going to sit down and do that for the first time. Mm-hmm. So, so, and now based on this conversation, I want to implement that at work as well. My partner and I are meeting in 51 minutes and I'm going to add that to the agenda. That's amazing. I actually, I have, um, I have three children, all teenagers, and I may implement that with them because mm-hmm. I think that sounds ama- like a really amazing way of, of um, you know, huh. making something as intangible as communication, pretty tangible. And I, I would add to your retreat, um, you know, I, I teach legal advocacy. Um, I've privileged to have the opportunity to with, with a great organization. It's the National Institute for Trial Advocacy. We call it um, NIDA. And one of the great things about these programs that I get to teach on is, you know, the teaching is amazing. I, I get to be with all these real, you know, pillars, incredible trial lawyers in their fields. I get to watch them teach. We get to be with, you know, up and coming trial lawyers. But the, I think the thing that people enjoy almost the most is the non-work part of it. You know, sitting mm-hmm. down and talking about things over lunch, going mm-hmm. out for a drink afterwards. And so um, it's what keeps people kind of coming back and continuing to teach for this organization because they really just foster that connection. So what you're doing with the retreat is fostering that connection. It's a great way to do it. Yeah. And, you know, you just gave me a great idea and I jotted that down on another post-it and that is <laughs> to implement this framework with, with my boy, with our boys. We have a 16 and 13 year old and mm-hmm. we know that communication, especially with teenagers could be pretty rough. And oh my. We've never, we've, <laughs> never, an we've never asked them for feedback, <laughs> but now... Mm-hmm. You know, we, the parents will, will do that too. So thank you for this idea. I never thought about, oh, actually that's not true. So our 13 year old, he can be pretty emotional. And sometimes mm-hmm. he just is like outraged by something we made him do. Like Alex, wash the dishes before you go to school. You can see his head is about <laughs> to explode. explode. Like, how dare you? <laughs> Uh-huh. So so now we're going to, we can't do it Sunday night because we're doing that with my wife Sunday night. So we have to implement it some other time during the weekend where we're going to sit down with them and, hey, how was this week? Well, what about that time when you had nearly exploded when I told you to watch this? Because this is where it's like top-down instruction, like wash the dishes before you go to school. You still have 10 minutes before you leave. Take care of it. So you were telling him forcefully to do something. 100%. Right? <laughs> You know, it it makes me think too about one tool that we have not talked at all Ooh. in this about in this what very interesting conversation. Listening, listening. Mm-hmm. It is one hundred percent one of the most underutilized tools in communication. And what made me think of it was talking about your kids, because I have found with with my kids that the best thing I can do is listen. And it's how I learn and it's how I learn how they feel. And it's how, you know, you would learn things like why was your 13 year old's head about to explode? It could be because he didn't want to do the dishwasher. It could be because something happened three days ago with a friend and it was coming back up and you learn 
And when you, you listen, you really learn. And so that's something, listening and asking good questions. Yeah. And, and I encourage people to try that even just for a day. Try to listen more than you talk and try to ask questions because that is going to give you, you know, just like you want in your feedback surveys, that's going to give you that information. Mm -hmm. And when managers listen to their employees and ask questions with curiosity, without judgment, just wanting to learn, that's when you really get some real valuable results in your communication. You just made me think of a book that I read 15 years ago when my now almost 17 year old was about a year old. And it's titled, it's a very famous book for parents, yeah. how to speak so your kids would listen and how to listen so listen, your kids would so speak. They will speak. Mm -hmm. So I think it's time for have me to, to reread that book. Yeah, I mean, Sasha, nothing's going to save us when we have teenagers. We just have to get through it, really. So, <laughs> but that's a good one. It's, yeah. But, it is a really good book. And it it's really definitely, definitely a challenge. And I recognize that I'm failing in some of my communications with the kids now. It, the, the two of them, 16 and 13 year old, are completely different in their communication style. The 16 year old only talks about surface things like sports, yeah. rarely talks about something that's deep down. And the 13 year old will go and just tell you everything. <laughs> Often there is so much TMI, too much information, but he'll be just like, just like throw up on you, like with everything that he's going on in his mind. And sometimes, like, you're driving, you're like, Holy well, crap, kid, you've been talking for the last 40 minutes nonstop. Mm -hmm. My head is about to explode. Right. So, so time to re-listen to that book and understand how to better communicate with them as well, yeah. as well as implement this weekly practice of just asking them, hey, how have we been with you, me as a dad and you as a kid for the last week? Like, well, how, what would you say that was on a scale of one to 10? And if they lie and they look, it's been 10. And I'm like, remember that time Tuesday morning when I told you to wash your dishes <laughs> and you were just outraged? Did that feel like a 10? No. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm assuming that's how it's going to go. I'm like, how did that I, feel? Like yeah. a two. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait to hear how that goes. I, and I think sometimes, you know, even as adults, right? Adults in the business world running companies, we're not perfect communicators. No. We don't always know what to do. Yeah. So, how can we really expect kids? And then teenagers who are going through, you know, an incredibly transitional and tumultuous time and emotional time in their life to also know how to communicate really well. And I find sometimes maybe like your 16 year old who's talking about sports, sometimes, you know, you just have to listen for what's mm -hmm. under the surface. You know, they may not know how to tell you a certain thing, but they may communicate about something else. And it really, you know, maybe it's some kind of, you know, it's just their way of getting it out because they don't necessarily know. And it, and it is up to us a lot. Um, yeah. to really model that and mm -hmm. just listening to your kids, like you're talking about, just asking them how they do this week. Yeah. My goodness. Like that is modeling such incredible communication for them for the future in, in personal life, in business, in point. everything. They're going to be way ahead because of what you're doing, Sasha. Yeah, that's a great point. So I, yeah. my, my 16 year old is my biological kid and my 13 year old is mm -hmm. my stepson. So my stepson and I, and I, have known each other for now a little less than two years. So, and obviously my almost 17 year old, we've known each other since his day one. And I am a hardcore disciplinarian with the kids. They get up at 6 a.m. and they go, they lift weights downstairs in our home gym. 
and like discipline, 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 because to me, discipline equals freedom. Like you build in the right practices, mm-hmm. you're going to feel good about your life. But if you just flow down the stream without purpose, without any structure, chances of you feeling really good about your life 20 years from now when you're in your 30s, not so great. So, so I think my almost 17 year old, I don't think I know that he communicates with his mom, my ex-wife, mm-hmm. much better than he communicates with me in terms of like, he'll tell her a lot more. He will not talk to her about sports, but he will yeah. tell her a lot more about his personal life. Whereas with me, it's like sports <laughs> and maybe the next vacation we're going to take and some other like surface things, but mm-hmm. do, you, do, do you find that that kind of structure resonates with both of them with both kids because they sound like different you know very different kids it it does not it is it is almost a military-like structure because if i don't do that they will not be there but beware be be in a way to kind of be leading to success they will be stay up late eat junk food never exercise like most of their peers do do the bare minimum yeah i just you know in terms of kind of that connection i think Mm -hmm. with kids or or at least what i find with my kids i've got i've got two boys and a girl so an older boy who's 18 i've got 16 year old boy girl twins and they are all just very different people Mm -hmm. and i think you know, I've, I've heard that, that, you know, each kid sometimes has a different parent because of how you parent each child. Mm-hmm. And I have really found that for them. My daughter and I communicate, talk about everything. We've got really good communication. We've worked on it. Um, we're very open with each other. And we also butt heads sometimes. But the way I communicate with her is a little different than, say, I communicate with her twin who hears everything, takes in everything has like the, he's like a sponge, remembers everything, but doesn't often share a lot. Mm -hmm. So I always just kind of have to wait for when he starts talking. And when he starts talking, I just start listening and asking questions. It's the only way I kind of get the information. Mm -hmm. Whereas my other son is is very, um, he's emotional. You know, he's a, a man who's able to really express his emotions and we're able to have some deep conversations. And I enjoy that. And when I think about, you know what you're doing in your house. I, I get that works totally for you. I don't, I cannot imagine like, I, I have not been like the strict disciplinarian. Everyone says I'm the softy yet. I have a I have very high expectations and very high standards for them. So they know what those are and they kind of worked within it. And, and I've always just been very big on, I didn't like being told what to do. I never like being told what to do. I'm very driven. I'm very ambitious. I work really, really hard, but I never wanted anyone to tell me what to do. That wouldn't work for me. If someone tells me what to do, I'm going to do the opposite. So I see that with my kids and I let them kind of find their own way. Yeah. I am exactly the same way. In fact, I was on somebody else's podcast a couple hours ago and they were like, Tell us about you something that we don't know. I'm like, well, I told my parents when I was four years old that I'm leaving as soon as I can. My mom, so who is great. now almost 70, she reminds me of that from time to time. She's like, when you were born, you look like a little independent man. And when you were four, you told us that you're taking off as soon as you can. And I remember that conversation. I was like, 
Where were you going? It, it, were somewhere, you but I but I wanted to live on my own when I was four. Okay. So, and she always tells me that like whatever I I would tell you what to do, you would do the exact opposite. So, mm-hmm. uh, it's very ironic. Yeah. That I am this way, and I would do that to my kids, and I expect nothing but strong performance and obedience. And obedience. Well, to that matter, my 16-year-old does not need to be told to work out at 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. He's there. Mm-hmm. We've been at it for so many years. He's just there. I don't need, I don't need to tell him. He's an athlete, three-season athlete in his high school. Awesome. Like, 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 I think that I pushed him in that direction. Once he gained enough momentum, he just took over, and now he is doing it on his own. He was a really poor student, and I came up with a way to motivate him. Now he's mostly A's and a couple B's yeah. here and there kind of student, right? right? But it, it took a lot of this, a lot of pushing, mm-hmm. and I assumed that I could have communicated, going back to the subject, yeah. I could have communicated a lot of those things better, but I never took the time. I can come up with a lot of excuses, but excuses mm-hmm. are not results, right? So yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah, and now I'm thinking about this and going back to the legal profession. I just thought about the show that's going to be restarted now, The Suits. Oh, is it if, starting again? They're starting oh. it again. They're starting it again. So they moved it to Netflix about a year ago. Yeah. It became so popular on Netflix that they decided to restart it. And I watched it a little bit. And one thing that you will know, so, so for those who, of you who have not seen The Suits... <laughs> you're a lawyer and you haven't watched at least a couple of episodes. It is about a fictitious corporate law firm based in Manhattan. And every single person there is a supreme hard ass. And every communication, the way that those people communicate there, you understand that these are lawyers who are trained to go for the win in every communication, my way or the highway. You will get things done the way that I expect you to get them done. When I expect you to get them done, you're not going to home until it's done the way that I like, <laughs> or you're never going home, right? So, so I just realized that going back to like the whole law firm culture, and by the way, this is probably not even 80% of all law firm owners, but the substantial percentage of law firm owners are going for the win with every communication, whether it's mm. with clients with partners or with their employees, it's for the win. And by the way, it could be considered to be for the greater good, but it doesn't mean that it's actually working out for the greater good in the long term. Yes, you could get the person to do exactly what you want them to do, which is be in the basement working out by 6.15 a.m. But in the longer term, that could probably create some resentment. And maybe they'll raise their kids in the exact opposite way. And their, my grandchildren will never work out, <laughs> which would be really devastating to me. Or they may be like, like my son, who's 16, who plays on his varsity basketball team, works out in the morning down in our basement, goes to the rec center and works out after basketball. And this is what he does because he loves it. Mm-hmm. You know, they may come to it on their own with a love for it. And I have to say, he is the one who introduced me to Suits. And we watched everything, the whole thing. And it was great bonding for the two of us. Like mm-hmm. I said, not a lot of talking, but we could talk about Suits. Um, for anyone listening, thinking I want to be a lawyer and, and Suits looks really awesome. And, and I want that life. 
I want to wear the beautiful clothes and right order people around. Um, Suits is a soap opera set in a law firm. <laughs> there is nothing right realistic about it, which is what makes it so much fun to watch. I I bet <laughs> I, that did not look realistic at all. No, not at all. <laughs> so this conversation took so many unexpected terms. Uh, terms. I so appreciate you and your insights. For people who want to, who are listening, watching this, and they're like, "Oh, that's me." Oh, if if somebody asked that question of my employees, they would probably rate me as a three or four or five on a scale of one to ten. How would they connect with your content? How would they connect with you and learn more about you and the services that you do, how you serve your clients, and how you could help them go from maybe three to a seven or eight, which would significantly, even in the short term, probably improve quality of their life? Yeah, well, you can find me um, at my website is a good place to learn more about me. Uh, it is Tribeca, which is uh, my neighborhood that I lived in in New York City. Um, blue, the color, consulting. When I was starting my company, I did not have a great marketing expert like you, Sasha, to tell me that name was way too long. So that's what it is. <laughs> you can. <laughs> why is it Tribeca Blue? I looked at the name and I'm like, why is it Tribeca Blue? Because tr just Tribeca was already taken. So I had to add something else in there. Uh -huh. You can see you how well have... thought out this was. That's okay. <laughs> um, I'm also on LinkedIn. That's pretty much the, I am not huge on social media, but that is where I will post and, and put other things um, that I'm doing. Um, and, and also some public speaking and media training tips. And I'm Laurie Gilbertson on LinkedIn. I, I'd love to connect with anyone who's listening. And I would throw out one tool, um, Sasha, because I'm going to take our whole conversation from communicating corporate culture and teenagers to artificial intelligence. Hmm. This is a tool I use that I love. And for people to get a sense of maybe how they look, how they sound, and how their communication is going across. Uh, it's called Udly. I am not paid for this. I use their tool. I use their free tool. It's fantastic. I get nothing from it. I just want people to, to learn. Uh, Udly, it's Y-O-O-D-L-I. Um, I think it's dot A-I. And you can record yourself. And you record yourself, you can watch yourself back. It will tell you filler words. It will tell you how much energy you have. Um, it will give you different ways of maybe saying things that might be more powerful. And it's just a really great supplementary tool to kind mm. of actual coaching and actual talking with people because most people don't watch themselves. Most people don't listen to themselves. It's a really good place to start. Um, and I think you, there's actually features where you can even record yourself in meetings now. Maybe if you're on Zoom ask. and see that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because if you just do this in front of camera right. on your own, mm -hmm. chances are you're going to be faking right. it a little bit. Yeah, maybe. But if it's a maybe. meeting, it's a meeting. Yeah. 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 And, and so you can do that on your Zoom meetings. Doesn't record anyone else, just records you. Uh -huh. And then it gives you suggestions. Um, I recommend it to my clients and I use it. And, and I find it's just a fantastic tool. So I encourage oh, people to take a look at that too. My sales team and my account, account management teams are so getting to use that starting <laughs> maybe next week. I don't want to force it down their throats, but yeah. I think it would be very cool for them to kind of yeah. get a glimpse of what they look like when they're communicating, communicating with clients. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Lori, you've been an amazing guest. Thank you so much. Sasha, it's been absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Grow Law Firm podcast. If you liked the ideas shared in this episode, help a fellow lawyer out by sharing a link to the episode. 
This episode is powered by the team of experts in client attraction, growlawfirm.com. Do you want a complimentary growth plan for your law firm? Request it at growlawfirm.com slash blueprint.